time of year. And then at least for us, my mom's birthday was the 20th and my siblings were the 28th, so it was always about a week long of festivities. Shout out to those of you with holiday birthdays. You know what that's like. So it's always a pretty crazy time of year, and even more so, obviously, when we have weather events like we did, uh, which, by the way, I was also told it does not get cold here. Uh, and nine degrees and four inches of snow is cold to me. I don't, I don't know what it's normally like. Uh, where I come from, that's cold. So I'm, I'm just saying, I feel a little deceived on that front. Um, before we want to get into our lesson, uh, I, I do want to mention just one more thing, and that is that all of our sermons, at least Sunday morning, Sunday night, and most of our Bible classes from Sunday morning and Wednesdays are available online. Uh, so if you do ever miss them, if you're not here, if maybe you could not get out because of the weather and we had services, you can go back and uh, go back and listen to those, find those online, find those through Facebook on the podcast thing, uh, like, share, and subscribe, as the kids say. And so with all that out of the way, as we approach the new year, uh, I've been thinking about New Year's resolutions, and you'll have to forgive me. We're actually talking about a somewhat serious topic. This didn't look quite as frivolous on my small little laptop screen as I was preparing it. Didn't run it by our branding team before putting it on the projector, I guess. So it is serious, but uh, you know, a little fun, I guess. Um, so I've been thinking about New Year's resolutions, and I gave a short devo on this, uh, somewhat on this topic, kind of touched on this Wednesday, but, but I just kind of mentioned how I've always been fascinated by the idea of New Year's resolutions just as a concept. That three weeks ago, many of us realized lots of things we could have done differently in our lives, but said, what am I going to do, change everything on December 12th? No, that's ridiculous. I have to put this off and be miserable for three more weeks, and then, and only then, can I enact change. Because whenever I write the date differently on the check, and it's 2023 instead of 2022, which I'll forget to do for the next three months anyway, then, then my changes will actually take place. And what's funny about that is we, we all do these things, but we play these little mind games with ourselves when it comes to stuff like this. I don't know if you're anything like me, but if I, if I ever wake up late, like if I'm late just in my routine or how I like to get ready before I get off to work, I, I used to have to commute a very long way, and I knew if I was later, then the traffic would be worse and all this. And if I woke up more than about 15 minutes late, I kind of just want to go back to bed and start the day over. Like, today's ruined. I just want to start again tomorrow. And there's no real logic to these kinds of things, but we, we play these little mind games with ourselves. And... And I'll share uh, just another, I guess, anecdote or story before we dig into our text. But uh, my wife used to work at a gym when we lived in the other part of the state. And as you might guess, January is a very busy month for gyms. Gym memberships skyrocket in January. And then in February, they kind of go down a little bit. And then in March, they go down a little bit more. And then around May, everyone starts realizing it's summertime again. And they're like, oh, i got to have my vacation bought. It's hot outside. i got to get active. I gotta... And so it picks up a little bit in the summertime. But then by the time August and September rolls around, you're pretty much down. The way I kind of view it is that if, if you were in a gym in September, that's, that's real dedication. <laughs> that if you walk into it, you walk into right now in January, you'll see a lot of people who don't know what they're doing, who've never been there before, but who are trying their best. But I said, if you go into a gym in September, you're going to find the people who are always there because that's what they do. It's not trendy. It's not seasonal. It's just that's part of who they are. And I say all that because something we're going to touch on this morning as we talk about resolutions and covenants is the idea of faithfulness. And that may seem like an odd segue, but I, I know when it comes to New Year's resolutions, most of us, I don't mean to put a damper on your day, but most of us will probably be unfaithful to our New Year's resolutions according to the numbers. A study said 92% of New Year's resolutions fail. Which I find interesting because no one made us set these goals for ourselves. It's one thing if your boss or your superior says, hey, we need to be at, you know, profit needs to be at 3.25% by the next quarter or whatever. But 
No one made us set New Year's resolutions. We set them for ourselves, and yet 92% of them fail. That seems kind of funny to me. In fact, it said 80% fail by February. We're not very good at managing change in our lives, it seems, as a whole. And our focus Wednesday, at least in our little Devo portion, was just that if we took all of our old habits into the old year and we brought them into New Year and just expected things to be different, well, that would be insanity because nothing would change. But this morning, I want to talk about a, a contrasting concept from the Bible, whereas our resolutions are very human, they are often weak, and they fail 92% of the time. There's a similar biblical concept, and that is the idea of covenant. And so this morning, as many of us, I think, are perhaps thinking about resolutions, I want to highlight the biblical concept of covenants. The word covenant is used over 300 times in the, in the Bible. In the simplest terms, a covenant is just an agreement between two parties. It's an agreement that involves promises on each on each. Uh, on behalf of each member of that party, usually from one person to the other. And, and in specifically the Bible, the covenant is almost always a promise from a holy and faithful God to what is quite often a sinful and wayward people. And so while I say in simple terms a covenant is an agreement, in spiritual terms it's actually so much more than just an agreement or a handshake or a contract in the spiritual terms, at least from, from our human view, these covenants are not resolutions that are seasonal or trendy or year-long, but covenants are often lifelong, if not spanning generations and generations in the Bible. A resolution might involve, as we mentioned, one aspect of who we are. Maybe I want to diet better. I want to spend less money. I want to make more money. I want to save more money. Work more, work less. Spend time with our kids more. We pick one area, typically a weakness, and we say, I really need to work on this one thing. But a covenant, meanwhile, in the biblical context of the word, a covenant would actually encompass your entire being. Your whole, your whole behavior, every aspect of who you are was a part of this covenant when God made it with man. And so the, the contrast between maybe the way we make changes and the way we make agreements versus the way God lays them out, very different. In the original phrasing... The, the original kind of the, the, the text, if we look at uh, Genesis 15, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 15. But the original language actually even tells you how serious a covenant was because the, the literal term meant to cut a covenant. It, we often render this make or establish. Look at Genesis 15, and we're going to begin in verse 12. I got ahead of myself. Genesis 15, verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age." And when they come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So the Lord is promising these things to Abraham. He's saying, this is what's going to happen, and this is what it will be like, and this is what will happen to you in your lifetime. But your people, uh, they will be servants. They will be afflicted. But I will eventually bring judgment upon them. Let's continue reading in verse 17. It says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold... 
A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. In the context of Genesis 15, at the instruction of the Lord, Abram, not yet called Abraham, has laid out three different animal sacrifices and he's cut them in a certain way because God commanded him to. And he lays them out and, and he hears in this deep sleep a vision from the Lord and, and somewhat what we would call a prophecy or a message from the Lord. And when he wakes up, he sees this fire passing between the pieces. And the literal translation or meaning of the text says the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham. And that terminology actually would reflect the ritual sacrifice that was necessary for this promise to be made. In, in modern parlance, we might call this a blood pact. Not to get too dark. But there was shedding of blood. There was a, a sacrifice of animals that had to be made. And, and the sacrifice kind of, in a sense, consecrated this promise. Because again, in Genesis 15, the animal was cut in half. And, and half was cooked and given to the people for food who would be a part of the covenant. But half was burned and given to God. And in sort of a shared meal, it, it would bind their covenant. There was also an aspect of surrender. That, that as Abram brought forth something he had killed, something he had worked for, something he had earned, we might say, he was literally sacrificing or surrendering or giving up half of it to God. We can almost view this as a down payment in, in, in a very loose sense of the term. To, to sort of remark his seriousness about what was happening. He didn't just say, I'm, you know, he didn't sign at the bottom line or he didn't just sort of shake hands with God. But he said, you know, I'm going to give up something and offer it to you as a sacrifice and that will really cement our covenant. It will remind us of the solemnity of what's happening here. And so the people showed they were, they were invested in terms of their half of the covenant. And so the text says this, this torch passed between the halves of the pieces. And we, we actually see some very similar acts kind of all throughout the prophets when they would make sacrifices. A prominent example being Jeremiah 34. And the slain animal in all of these instances is the symbol of the promise. And in walking through it or the torch passing around it or through it where the sacrifice was being made was almost their way of saying, just as we've killed this animal in, terms of a, in, in preparation for the covenant, let the same thing happen to me if I break this covenant. And so, again, I, I know terms like blood packs seem to have almost a dark association, but that's, that probably best gets at the the seriousness of what's happening here. They would sacrifice the animal as an offering to God, but also as a reminder that this covenant was binding to death. And so the people, their half was very significant, very important. The extraordinary thing about God's covenants is even though God is holy, and even though God is all-powerful, God chooses to lower himself into covenant with Weak and sinful people. Mortal men with normal folks. He makes covenants with people like you and I. And so I want to look at just a few examples this morning of, of when God makes a promise, what his covenants look like. The first example we're looking at is the covenant of Noah. Turn to Genesis 9. Turn to Genesis chapter 9, and we will look at what is called the Noahic 
covenant or the covenant of Noah. Genesis 9, beginning in verse 11. I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, then my, the bow is seen in the clouds. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So we know the story of Noah. And it's actually in Genesis 9, even though Abraham is often seen as sort of the prototype covenant, it's actually here in Genesis 9. This is the, the first time the Bible uses this word, which is why it seemed like an appropriate place to begin. But we, we mentioned that, even, bef even before that we mentioned that covenant of Abraham, even before his time, God makes a promise with Noah. And nothing really in t is required of Noah in this one promise. It's actually a little bit one-sided compared to some of the covenants that would come later. But he, but he promises that he will never again raise up waters to destroy the world by flood. And, you know, if we went back to Genesis chapter 6, we would see that Noah lived in a time of apostasy. That people had no desire for God's commands. They had no desire for understanding God's will for them. The exact phrasing from Genesis 6-5 is that the desire of man's heart was only evil continually. It was certainly a dark time. Yet in spite of that, the text tells us Noah walked with God, that Noah was a man after God, that he obeyed God. He, perhaps alone in all the earth, actually considered what God's will was for his life. And as a result, God singles out Noah to be, to be used to fulfill this great work that the Lord is going to do. And so God goes on to do this great thing through Noah, not, not necessarily because Noah was talented as a boat maker. He was known for his seafaring abilities, but really because, because Noah was faithful. It's not that he was necessarily born of the right family or, or raised in the right neighborhood, but Noah obeyed God. Noah put his faith in God and in God's commands and God's instructions for his life. Our lesson or our takeaway from this covenant God makes with Noah is that God is faithful. God rewarded Noah for his faithfulness to him. And like I said, this, this is a story we know. We've heard many times. But God sees the, the prevailing wickedness of the world. and he, he commands Noah to do an exceedingly strange thing. Especially in a time where rain had not happened like this before on this scale. And he tells him to build a boat. And unlike the boat that is sitting in your front yard, it was not a money pit, but it was actually a vessel through which he would be saved. God says, do this and you will be saved. Do not do this and you will be lost. It really doesn't sound all that different from the commands we have today. It was a couple weeks ago, we mentioned Mark 16, 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The balance here is... It's fairly simple. God gives Noah instruction. Noah obeys. 
And as a result, Noah is saved. God rewards his faithfulness because our God is a God who is himself faithful. That means he keeps his promises. So as the time of reckoning is at hand in Genesis 6, the, God sends the rain that floods the earth. I think the song was the rains came down, the floods came up. Actually, that's from a different story. That's from the wise and the foolish man. I got my VBS songs mixed up, I guess. But the rains did come down, the floods did come up. And when all this is said and done, when, the, when, when things begin to clear up, look just a little bit back from where we started. Look at the very end of Genesis 8. Look at Genesis 8:20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah begins... The first thing when he gets off the boat, when he recognizes what God has done for him, he begins by making a sacrifice. But by giving back to God some of what he was blessed with or what he offers to God, some of what he has. And the Lord says, because of your obedience, because of your sacrifice, I will make this promise with you. Look at the text. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So maybe perhaps in a similar way to a new year or a new start, the Lord resolves to no longer do this thing he has done. He said, you know what? We went too hard with the flood thing. We're not going to do that again. That was a one-time deal. We, you stay obedient. We won't, we, won't, we, won't go through, we won't do well there again. That was a little rough. Maybe, maybe we don't need to do that again. And so God, as a sign of his own faithfulness, rewards Noah for Noah's obedience. I want to look at one more example. It's really hard to not get distracted when it's your own child. Like some of y'all back there, it's not as, not as distracting and go through it, but something about their own voice, I guess. So we've talked about Noah. We've mentioned Abraham. Let's look at another example of covenant. Because eventually the descendants of Noah, the descendants of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, of Joseph and his family, they find themselves in Egypt. And while they were once welcomed as guests in Egypt, there is a, an administration change. And over time, the people find themselves enslaved. And in the story, before Moses enters the scene, and from Exodus 2.23, it says, The people cried out, and the Lord heard their cry. I think there is power simply in the Lord hearing the cries of his people. And so God raises up from them, up from their own people, a man named Moses. And through Moses, God makes a promise to deliver his people. Through Moses, God sends the plagues. And again, we, just like the flood, we know this story. He sends the plagues and he hardens Pharaoh's heart. And so he sends more. He, he challenges the gods of Egypt. And he challenges the sorcerers. And he challenges the, the rulers and their authority. They do things like damage the crops, change the water, attack the people. And finally, after, after the ten plagues, Pharaoh's heart is weakened. And we have the massive exit or exodus. And then his people have been delivered. God makes again 
a promise with these people. He makes a covenant. Flip over to Exodus 19. From Exodus 19, beginning in verse 2. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." God tells the people after he's delivered them, how he's brought them up and how he's saved them and he's done work through them. He's, remember all those amazing things I did? Remember how you were enslaved and your life was horrible? Remember how I brought you up out of slavery and into deliverance? He says, well, I'll make you a promise. If you obey my voice, if you keep my covenants, you shall be my treasured possessions. And what's the message from this this promise, it's that God first demonstrated his love. He first demonstrated his love by, by sending Moses, by empowering Moses, by using Moses and, and working through him so that his people may be delivered. And we're several generations removed from Jacob and Isaac and Joseph and all those who knew God in the covenant of Abraham. But many of the people who grew up in slavery probably don't even really know who this God is. Yet in spite of all that, God works through Moses to deliver his people. He longs for his people. He saves his people. As we mentioned, he hears their cry. And so because he has chosen them, he, he demonstrates his love for them. And in exchange, he calls for them to obey. And if we were to look at how Exodus 19 and really the rest of the book unfolds, the people eagerly agree to this covenant. Being enslaved for so long, they eagerly take out the first plate of food they're offered. They say, yes, you're going to free us. Whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. Absolutely. Our life was so horrible in slavery that if you're going to free us, whatever you want us to do, we will do it. But of course, we also know the story that it is only a few moments later that they are caught up in idolatry. They are caught up in sin. They quickly clicked through the terms and conditions page and came to realize that maybe I didn't really pay attention to what I said I would do when I eagerly accepted that covenant. And yet, in spite of all that, over and over again throughout the Old Testament, the Lord renews the covenant. He renews his agreement with his people. He comes back and he, 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 he seeks for them again to be obedient to him, for them to enter into the promised land that he has given to them. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful to his people. And even though they've made mistakes... And even though they've wandered away and even though they didn't really follow everything that they promised that they would do and they really quite often fail, the people fail to hold up their end of the bargain. But despite all of that, God says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make you one more covenant. In spite of all these failings and all these weaknesses, he said, I'm going to make one more covenant with you. And why does he do this? Which one of us 
after having an agreement been broken and broken and broken and broken by another party, which one of us would go and say, you know what, how about one more time? I know we've made promises 17 different times, and you've tried to sell me this car over and over, and you've ripped it out from under me every time, but you know what, this time I'll come back one more time, and we'll see how this goes. In spite of our unfaithfulness, God is faithful. This new covenant that he promises, uh, Peter, Peter says, In this new covenant you will be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Again, he says, you will be God's own possession. This new covenant is not just for the Israelites. It's not just for those who were called out of slavery in Egypt. But it's actually going to be for everyone. This is mentioned and prophesied several times in the Old Testament, but I, I just want to read a section of it from Jeremiah 32. From Jeremiah 32, 37. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger, in my wrath, and great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. In spite of all of our weaknesses, in spite of all of our sinfulness, in spite of all of our failings, God makes a promise to his people, and really this time to all people, that they will have the opportunity to be in a covenantal relationship with him. This new covenant is sometimes called the new covenant in contrast to those of the old of Noah and Moses, but it's also sometimes called the, the covenant of grace in contrast to the rigidity and the, the unforgiving nature of the law. In Galatians 4, Paul calls this a covenant from the Jerusalem above, meaning that God sent it from his own holy city down to the people on earth. That this new covenant would be from God's own seat of authority in heaven. It is Christ's death on the cross that marked the beginning of this new covenant or this new hope for mankind. We are justified through his grace and through his mercy. And that being joined with him in the blood of this new covenant, we have remission, true forgiveness of sins. As Acts 17.30 or Acts 18.38 calls it. This new covenant does not require animal sacrifices. It does not require a priest mediating on our behalf or speaking uh, for us before God. But we can actually, in this new covenant, approach the throne of God ourselves directly. And this new covenant is Christ who is our, our sacrifice. It is Christ who is our mediator. It is Christ who shed the blood, not rabbits or deer or animal or, or any other clean or unclean thing. But it is actually the blood of Christ that consecrates this covenant. It is Christ who is our mediator. And it is because of Jesus that it is in this new covenant that we have salvation, according to Hebrews 9.15. Much like Abram and the prophets of old who would give to God a sacrificial lamb, let's say, to really show their, their promise and, and, and their earnest in keeping this covenant, it is God who sent us his Son, to dwell among us, that we may know him. That, that they could see him and interact with him and touch him and, and eat with him and walk with him. That they would do human things like sleep and tire and get weary. 
but he was also heal and bind our wounds, as Psalm 147.3 says. He is the healer of our weaknesses, even though it is he himself who was made weak for us. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Throughout all of his word, God demonstrates his faithfulness to his promises. It's about this time of year that all of us will make promises to ourselves that, let's just be honest, we probably won't keep. And that's okay. I mean, more power to you if you do. I hope you do. But if we look at the big picture, we probably won't. Because we're not perfect. And yet, in spite of all of that, and in spite of failings that are much greater than stopping to go to the just not going to the gym after February, and in spite of failings that are much more important than just not quite saving quite as much money as you had said you would because you went out to eat too many times, in spite of misgivings that are much greater than all those silly things that we try to do for ourselves, God says, I will be faithful to you. God always keeps up his end of the bargain because God is faithful. The question remains, are we faithful? If we look through his word, God over and over gave us markers and signs and a path that leads to Jesus as the covenant of what they call the covenant of promise. Those individuals we talked about were examples. Sometimes they call them types. They call them forerunners. They were shadows of what God would later do among people. But through all these things, he kept his promise because God is faithful. And again, the question remains, are we? In Christ, we have the covenant of promise, the covenant of hope. It is not a resolution that it should be made yearly or with seasonally or or changed with the seasons and trends. It is not faithless that we give up on it, but God has always shown that he is faithful to his people, even to those who are not always faithful to him. God set the standard at perfection, but when we fall short, he gives us grace and he gives us mercy. If you are with us this morning in need of that grace or in need of that mercy, if there's anything we can do for you, we ask that you come while we stand and while we sing.